Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take SideQuests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good morning, Slava. Good morning, Jonathan. Happy so, Saturday. Happy well, Saturday this is releasing indeed. on a Tuesday, so happy Tuesdays. Two Saturdays. Sad Tuesdays. Happy Sad Tuesdays. All those things. How was your week? An unexpected thing happened during this week. Um, okay. I came up with a question. No. No, you didn't. I don't believe you. You have said before that you think these questions are stupid. I have it on record in one of the last episodes on the fact that you can ask questions but don't. So I I call nonsense. I call BS. Well, just like Gandalf's visit in the beginning of the book was unexpected, so was this muse, whatever, hit me. And I came up with a question. Okay. So the question I'll, I'll, is... Okay, I'll maybe believe you. Yeah. In the spirit of Bilbo's unexpected journey, mm-hmm. what adventure would you embark on if a wizard knocked at your door? Probably every one of them. I mean, I, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, if a wizard shows up at my door that I... well. Am I familiar that this person is a wizard? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Then 100%. Wherever we're going, I'm in. I Do I get magic powers? Uh, why not? You learn magic because you're with the wizard. Let's, Holy let's do shit. That. I'm fucking in. <laughs> let's go. That's the podcast, guys. I've got an adventure to go on. See ya. Yep. So, I would, too. Absolutely, just go on an adventure with a freaking wizard if he came to my door. Now, I want to add to your answer the following. Okay. I would want to go on some sort of, um, if we're going to put it in our context, right? So, Oh, am I supposed to like build the adventure verbally? No, 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 no. I, you oh, you okay. could. You could. Um, but I am, just because I want to differentiate our answers, because hell yeah, I would go too. So... I would want it to be some sort of Southern Hemisphere, shout out to Spencer, Indiana Jones type of adventure, where me and this mm-hmm. wizard are not fighting dragons or, you know, reclaiming the rightful uh, rightful treasures of dwarfs or anything like that. But whatever the, it is, I'd probably want it to be in some place I've never been to and warm which puts me into the Southern Hemisphere. And I think an Indiana Jones with a wizard would be pretty freaking cool. I can get behind that. I I mean, one of the reasons we grew up loving Indiana Jones is because it's like, who doesn't want to go out on a quest for treasure? Like, that's fun. We have sandboxes where we bury our little trinket cars and like, then tell our friend, like, oh, you got to dig it up. You got to find the treasure. Because it's fun to go out and find things, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. So, of course, I'm going to go on this adventure. And I, I think a, 
maybe this is next week's question is like you have 10 minutes to pack what are you bringing right like yeah you can't bring everything you don't know what the adventure holds this is like a series of questions this is like a story this is like dude so here here's the thing when slava comes up with a question Okay, okay, well... and all questions. No, 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 no. I don't want to give you that much credit. Um, uh, Yeah, no, okay. All right, you know what? I concede. I'm man enough to go, okay, that was a good question. That was a good question. That was a good question. Yeah, I thought so. But the reason we're here is because of... Bilbo. A Hobbit's Hobbit's, uh, adventure. That's correct, Bilbo. There and back again. In part two of the book, which we just arbitrarily cut in half at chapter 11, um, for this episode, along the journey, Bilbo acquires a magic ring. He aids his companions, converses with Smog, and plays a pivotal role in the ensuing conflicts. Bilbo also discovers and demonstrates his resourcefulness. This is a throwback to what Gandalf has said that there's more to this hobbit than even he knows. He faces various dangers, even contributing to the victory over smog, goblins, and wargs. But despite <clears throat> and despite being changed by the experience, Bilbo returns home content and now a bit of an outsider in hobbit society. And at the end, he begins to pen his memoirs, The Hobbit, or There and Back Again. I like this idea of penning memoirs, and I think I okay. I know that I've said this on different shows that everyone has a story or a book inside them. I think I said a book, but I deeply, deeply believe that. Where I tell everybody to journal, because even if you never publish this thing, it helps you. It helps teach you how to think and how to like process the adventure of the life that you've lived. The better, the good and the bad things, right? Like, but um. I don't know. It's probably because it's in Middle Earth. It just feels magical. Like, I bet this book has magic powers. I know that it doesn't. Don't yeah. at me in the comments. I've read the books. I get it. But it could. So when I found thought-provoking as I was trying to capture the second half of the plot in, you know, three sentences, and it forced me to think about it, what I found compelling is that despite being changed completely, by this experience the hobbit doesn't just like screw off and like go on some something insane again and again another adventure he has this big thing that happens to him and when he's returning home he's content he's no longer this hobbit that has a foot in one world and a foot in the next he's kind of easing back into life and that's you know this is now you know a valley or a peak however you want to define that he's plateauing Mm -hmm. it out that's even better Right. So he's going home, but when he returns, he's an outsider. And he's looked upon a little bit differently by some of the hobbits, and some of the hobbits probably are judging him. As they're looting his goods. Oh, that's a very interesting. That's like uh, the death of the, the old hobbit and the birth of the new, because he's being treated as he's dead, mm-hmm. because he really is dead, because he's coming back completely changed. Right? So... A little bit of literary nerding out there. Mm-hmm. But he returns home changed. And 
he's different now than the people around him. And yeah, in the book, there's they're all hobbits that don't like adventure, but an application, if you will, for our in real world context is whenever you go through something that big, the, the, the size of the adventure that the hobbit had, Bilbo, you will come back changed. And the people around you will, even if they love you and they don't do it in the mean-spirited way, will look at you side-eyed a little bit because they have 100%. never left. They've never left or they haven't left yet. And so I thought that just an interesting little uh, thing that popped out at me. Yeah, that's true. I actually have uh, have felt that a few times in life. And it's pretty much every time I've gone on an event. Like I was gonna, I was gonna try and downplay it, but like it's pretty much every time I've gone on an adventure. I lived in New York. We've talked about this a couple times. Lived in New York for a few years. Where like after high school, I went and lived in a big city. And it's like, yeah, my father's like a Brooklynite. That's where he was raised. But then you come back, and it's like this high school group of friends that are still together, and they're like cracking the same dumb jokes and doing the same dumb stuff. I'd rather be alone than step back into the old quote-unquote norm that they're living in they're not bad people right they're fine people they have they have fine character whatever i mean this is like high school like post high school right so like people are still getting into themselves and they're still growing whatever if you ever listen to this which i doubt like not a judgment call on whatever it's just like i went and had to change and i had to see the bigger world it does change you and then while i was living in new york i also took a trip to backpack the himalayan mountains and go to israel and like almost get run over by a bus in london like you know, I lived. It's because I was jaywalking and looked the wrong way because I'm a stupid American. That's a whole story. But you come back and everyone else has stayed the same. It's like they never moved. Figuratively and literally. But it's different. It does isolate you a little bit, right? In a good way? Can I say that? I feel like it's in a good way. Yeah, you can. Because if you're away from things, even like you said, they're the best of people, they have fine character. But if you're away from the thing that will stagnate you, and sometimes those things are bad things, bad people. Sometimes it's just you growing up, and that's okay, because there'll be a time for them to grow up too. And that's an okay isolation. You're letting them grow in their own time, and two, you are mm-hmm. continuing to move forward. So the, it's a natural isolation from something. It's not an isolation in, in and of itself. It's an isolation from the thing that you are growing from, with, away from. I think it's from and to, right? It's both. Yeah. So, I think it's it's multifaceted. So that's the plot of the second half of uh, The Hobbit. We're there and here and back again and all over the place. So you want to talk about what happens in chapter 11 and 12 with us? Yeah, let's pick some of the highlights. So this second half, and I'm actually trying to pull some quotes here that I can talk about later, is there's something about, and I, and I don't think this is just me, But there's something about the way that Gandalf views Bilbo that is both honest and grounded in expectant hope of Bilbo being more than he gives himself credit for. Mm. And like that resonates with me pretty deeply because, and I think I've mentioned this before, like feel like a late bloomer in life, very much so. And because of that, it's like Bilbo in some ways is a late bloomer because there's this tookish part of him that he hasn't ever given time or attention to because he just wants to be comfortable. But it's like being comfortable is not useful long-term. It's great short-term. It's super wonderful short-term. But like long-term, you start to wonder like, 
is there anything left in life? And it's because you don't challenge yourself. And like the Tookish part is always running off on the next adventure. And that part of yourself is trying to see what you're really made of, I think. So anyway, the, the way that Gandalf views Bilbo is resonates with me deeply. So, and there's quotes that I want to address later. Anyway, all that to say, definitely connect and resonate with Bilbo and then also how Bilbo is viewed by Gandalf. So chapters 11 and 12, I really like that they are, you know, it's halfway through the book and they're already kind of at the last part of the journey, but not quite right where we've got like, they have arrived at Erebor, the lonely mountain. Now they have to deal with Smaug who they didn't really have a good answer for, right? So, so they're, they know that there's a dragon inside. They know that they need to deal with him. They don't know what to do about it. And they do remember that they have this secret door that they can go in, but they don't know how to find it, which is like also a fair statement. So Bilbo and the group find some stairs. They go up the side of the mountain where the door is supposed to be. No idea where the door is. And then we get this new introduction of... Like, oh, yes, the birds spoke to the dwarves. The birds had a language where they could communicate with the dwarves. And we have another moment with, you know, magical creatures having a language to speak to the people, which is which is fun. Like, that's part of what makes fairy tales a good time. So Bilbo notices this thrush. The thrush is listening the whole time. And we as the, the readers understand, like, the thrush is taking in the information but can't necessarily communicate back with them. And which dwarf is the old one? Why can't I remember his name at the moment? But he, the old dwarf remembers the bird. He remembers this, this raven that was kind to the dwarves and was there when he was young. Balin. Was there before. The, hmm? Balin. Oh, Balin, yeah. Balin, Balin, Balin. Balin. Let's go to Balin. Balin remembers and which is a nice little note of the elders remembering the old days and how history is important. And it's good to look backwards and understand like where you've come from because it should help dictate the future and also prevent you from missing out on things or, or sorry, not missing out on things should help you prevent from, from pitfalls because they're like, well, you don't have to do this because when I was a boy, et cetera, et cetera, the birds talk to us, whatever. <laughs> Hey, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Back when I was a boy, the birds were owned by the government. And so they had this government shutdown for a couple of years where they had to change the batteries out of the birds. That's what that was all about back in 2020. Out of all the conspiracy theories. That's my favorite. That, that's It's one of the top three. I don't know who invented it, but I absolutely love it. So a funny story. I was having a cigar with my friend on his porch, and we're just talking nonsense. And he looks up, he's like, oh, look at that crow. And it was across the street, and he lives in the country, so across the street is a bit far. Mm-hmm. And it was sitting on a light post, on top of the light post. And I was like, ah, that's not real. That's probably a government listening device. And as soon as I said it, it flapped its wings and flew away. And we both just cracked up for like the next five oh, minutes. Oh, man. Because just the perfect timing. Right. We both knew about the conspiracy theory. We both made fun of it. And then he set me up for the joke. It was just the perfect little, uh, <laughs> little moment. I love that. It's I. I really. 
I really love that conspiracy theory. Yeah. Anyway, so so Bilbo sees the thrush and they're looking for this door, and then Bilbo sees the door and you know identifies it, and they end up getting in. There's no lights, there's no lamps, so it's just dark, and they're inside. Sort of the doors open. Bilbo goes and tries to confront Smaug and steals a goblet. And we we briefly touched on this last week, where this is very one to one with Beowulf, where the person goes in and steals a goblet from the hoard of treasure and also barred from lake town ends up you know a non-main character kills the main dragon that's a normal thing in beowulf as well so like a lot of fun fairy tale stuff from ancient lore tolkien did this thing that i have said for ages where it's like you take something that people are familiar with how can i let me try and verbalize this for the audio the listeners Draw a circle, put an X inside of it. Just outside the circle, not too far away, draw a second X. And then draw in a different color, a different circle around both the current circle with the X and the the X outside the circle. And this is how I look at really creative ideas that get buy-in. So Tolkien was deeply educated on philology, which is the study of language and how language develops. And so he studied Norse and Greek and these different cultures, and he took that second X that sits just outside the circle and made his own version of Beowulf, basically. It's not a one-to-one, like hobbits don't exist in Beowulf, Gandalf doesn't, like, so it's not exactly right. But what you do is you take an idea that people are familiar with, which is the X inside the circle, and you move it outside the circle by taking it and restructuring things for yourself, but it's familiar enough that people know, oh, this is a fairy tale. I know what fairy tales are like. Fairy tales have dragons and treasure. Yep, there's dragons and treasure. Oh, okay, fairy tales involve going on an adventure. Yep, there's an adventure. And then, like, direct one-to-ones with, like, I love Beowulf. This is me being Tolkien. I'm going to put in stealing a cup. I'm going to put in a non-main character killing the guy, the dragon. This is where really good ideas come from. They're not pure innovation ideas like, um, like Steve Jobs inventing the iPhone. But they are ideas that get enough buy-in that they seem unique because people don't have to think very hard to accept them. They already have enough information because it's close to that first circle. So anyone who's in marketing or trying to do creative stuff like this is my secret sauce, don't reinvent the wheel. Take the wheel and change the spoke pattern. Take the wheel and add some glitter to it. Take the wheel and whatever. Like, And you'll be seen as a genius every time. Anyway, back to the story. That's your little life coaching there. So Bilbo actually steps into his, he steps into his role as the burglar. And I think he surprises himself because he doesn't necessarily see himself as a a burglar. But we as the audience have seen him be the burglar a few times, which is fun and entertaining. I want to pause a second and throw this to you, Slava. Have there been times where you have surprised yourself in how you've responded to situations where you if if you would have been asked a day before like how would you respond to blah 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 situation and then you lived it and you're like oh i handled that differently than i would have thought and i've surprised myself by how i reacted to it something like that i'm sure i have in fact i know i have if you asking me to pull one out of the memory banks i don't think i can do it right now but yeah as one grows from experience, right? So you have all these experiences and you grow. And then there's this maybe a lull in the journey for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. 
And then you come up on a similar experience, but because of the previous experience, you have learned how to better react to things or better comprehend things or better to deal with things. And so when it comes up again, you're not doing the habit that you you were prone to exhibit or do prior to the adventure here. In the new wave, you are reacting differently. And a lot of times, when it's the first, second time that that happens, I think anybody would be like, oh, wow, that's different than I would have normally done. You know, good on me. Yeah. If it's yeah. a good step in the right direction, right? So I, I'm sure I have. I know one area in my life is being less reactive to things that either annoy me, mm-hmm. whether right or wrong, whether it's objectively true in the court of the law. And it, if you could apply the scientific method, it could be proven that this thing is bullshit. <laughs> I have learned. I think to that's why react. the scientific method exists. exists. Yeah. Is this bullshit or is this not bullshit? That's the question right. of real scientists. Exactly. So if that could be done, Slava's reaction, irrespective of the truth of that, has matured. And there have been times in the past maybe five years. Again, I couldn't pull one out of the memory banks, but I, I have the sense of memory about these events, right? That, yeah, I was like, oh, wow. Thank God for that. I reacted in a way that did not set off, you know, a fireworks or something, whatever, right? Yeah. It's an interesting part of the journey because when you are surprised by it and it's a good surprise, that can reinforce the use of the new way of doing things. Yeah. And it's, it's, it makes me think of like when you're in those moments and I too can't pick up an example at the moment where you're in a scenario and it's like you choose to do the right thing. Right. And we won't go down the moral path at the moment of like, well, what is the right thing? It's like you just know, right? In the moment you know this is the right thing. It's it's you prevent somebody from smacking a child who made an honest mistake. Right. Like you just know you you step in and you do the right thing because it's protecting or, or you know, looking after someone, whatever. And you go, I didn't know I was capable of that. I think that's the real question. First drafts instead of final drafts. And it's like if you ever come across a moment where you damn it how did i just say that i i lost the question as i was trying to explain the question you were surprised that you were capable capable yeah you're surprised at your capabilities of like oh i didn't know that i would step in and tell this man don't hit your child but you don't know these things until you come across those scenarios and like bilbo never leaves his hole and he's not aware that he could be a burglar and he's not aware that he can actually take care of a group of dwarves who've found themselves in another blunder and he's not aware that he has, and maybe I just need to dive into these quotes, but how did um, Gandalf say it? He said, you're, let me see. Gandalf said it this way. There's more in you of good than you know, child of the kindly West. Some courage and some wisdom blended in measure. For if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. And and Gandalf's just like looking at, at Bilbo and he says it better at a different time that I didn't find the quote for at the moment, but there's more in you of good than you know. There's more to you than you know, right? And this is true of all of us. It's really like, are we willing to give ourselves over to that good? I I need to hand this back over to you because I'm going to like go down a, a, a philosophical, ethical train of thought of 
moral good. So I'm gonna hand I'm gonna hand the plot back over to you because I just I need to stop myself before we, because we haven't prepared for that conversation in this, at the level at which I would go down that road, which as the audience the audience knows I can be a little long winded. Right. Well, let me pick up on something you mentioned and talk more about the literary structure of things and not the philosophical implications of it. So Bilbo fulfills his destiny as a burglar, not only with the cup, but also with the Arkenstone. And he doesn't even know that it's importance or value, but he has the sense of a burglar now. So just what we were talking about, the first time you do something right, it reinforces the good of that thing. And the second time you want to do it and you have a better sense of why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And so when he takes the Arkenstone, he just senses that this is, must be important. Yes, it's pretty. Yes, it might have magical powers. Yes, it's kind of like the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. But he senses there's something good about it. At the same time, now this is jumping into chapter 13, 14, and 15. At the same time, the dwarves begin to show their ugly side as greed overtakes them. Dragon sickness. Dragon sickness. You have the hobbit, Bilbo, who takes the most important piece of the treasure and later uses it to broker peace or attempt to broker peace and you have the dwarves who are willing to kill and die and starve for a measly pence mm-hmm. you know a little gold mm-hmm. piece while this arkenstone is in the burglar's hands so thorn while all this is happening so thorn versus the dwarves versus the hobbit bilbo Thorne seems to come in into a legacy that it's rightfully his, right? So the prophecy has been fulfilled. He's mm-hmm. at the mountain. The burglar is symbolically killing the dragon because he plays a battle of wits with him and kind of wins, sort of, although the smog goes off and kills a bunch of ponies and people. <laughs> so call it a draw, right? Is it really winning? <laughs> is it really winning? But it's symbolically... This is in-world. I'm not making a literary comment, although I kind of am, I guess. But in the world, in the story, symbolically, Bilbo fulfills his destiny as the Brigler. He symbolically battles the dragon, undertaking the traditional task of killing the dragon, but it's a battle of wits. And Thorn, getting back to my point, seems to come into the legacy that's rightfully his, right? That's what I just said, because of the prophecy fulfillment, what the Brigler's done on their behalf for them but his weakness for material things overshadows it. So while mm-hmm. Bilbo's growing as a, you know, a hobbit who just came out of the most comfortable and sans worm and sans sand hole and all of Bag's ends, right? Is the best, you know, like the, what did it start off with? Like it wasn't just a hole. It was a hobbit hole. Right. It was a good, comfortable hole. Yeah. And so he comes out of that and he's learning and growing. There's, you know, all that good stuff that we love books for. But Thorin here, we peel back the so-called onion, and we see his weakness. Yes, he's a leader. Yes, he's the grandson of the great king, of the king under the mountain. But there's a weakness, which he doesn't overcome. Because, spoiler alert, he gets mortally wounded in the Battle of the Five Armies. That's caused by his freaking greed. Mm-hmm. And yes, he learns at the end, and he reconciles with Bilbo. Because when Bilbo gives Dark and Stone to the elves and the men to broker peace because now that they have this stone, they have the power, right? Like the Holy Grail kind of thing. It's just yeah. in their hands, so now they can barter with Thorn for the rest of the treasure that's, you know, 
kind of rightfully theirs. The dwarves owed them for services rendered. <laughs> services <laughs> at the, rendered. At the very least. Yeah. Right? And this weakness comes out. And they weren't shy about showing their disdain for his saving them four times or whatever it was. Yeah. His <laughs> no no gratefulness, just like grateful for five minutes afterward and then like <laughs> Exactly. Uh exactly. So there's I think that's a powerful dynamic that uh, Tolkien kind of wrote. And this is what just three chapters of stuff. As is going on, this outside, kind of outside, thing shows up. It's been there all along because even, as I said, Bilbo's been battling with it. Smog leaves mm-hmm. the mountain and unleashes destruction on Lake Town. So this shows really the power and evil of smog. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, and then later on, I want to talk about how even after death, his power kind of lingers and affects people. But we'll get to that chapter yes. in, a, in, a, in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is seen in his absolute rage and greed. And there's a word other than evil that I'm looking for. It's maliciousness. Malevolence. Malevolence or maliciousness. It's just the mm-hmm. way he reacts to even the cup being stolen. And like he just kills ponies for grins. And then he goes and destroys the town. I think that's a very powerful dynamic, the word I'm going to use for it again. that It's almost a story within a story. It's very well-layered by Tolkien because there's the adventure story, there's the Beowulf analogies or illusions, mm-hmm. illusions, and then there's this thing where you have three characters. You have the Hoppet growing, you have Thorn being exposed, and then you have Smog yep. just un- unleashing hell on a town people. And then you have the other side of this multifaceted cube is Bard, who turns out to be the real hero, who's that side character that kills the dragon, right? Yeah, yeah. So one more point, and then I'll parry it off to you. So the point I want to come back to is Smog's power extending beyond his death. So even after the dragon is dead, people come and say, all right, dragon is dead. Half of us died or a third of us died. Let's divvy up the treasure. Yeah. But dragon sickness and yep. Bilbo and the draw dwarves in, in different ways, because there's two different, you know, two different uh, character arcs here going on. One is not that good. Uh, Bilbo and the dwarves learn that his death is not the end of their troubles. That evil power that extends beyond Smog's death starts to affect Thorn and the dwarves. It's like almost as if Smog reaches out from the grave and entices enmity over his ill-gotten and blood-soaked treasure, right? Mm-hmm. There's this. Um, so the, those four chapters, what is it, thirteen through sixteen? Uh, there's so much packed into it, uh, and yeah. I, and I found myself more attentive during these chapters as I was reading them. Well, it's it also it feels anticlimactic because we've spent the last. 15 chapters with Thorin and company and then Smaug disappears and you're like, Oh man, when's he going to come back? And they go investigate the cave and, and you know, the, the dwarven citadel, I guess I'll call it. And like, Oh, when's he going to come back? And there's this anticipation. And then we cut over to Lake town and we kind of go back in time a little bit where 
Bard and the city are being overrun by Smaug, the main characters we've been following don't get the glory. And so it, it really, just like you said, exposes Thorin, where it's like, yes, he traveled back to become king under the mountain. That's his birthright. Okay. The Arkstone, also his birthright. Okay. But he didn't really recapture it. You know, like Bard did. Bard took care of the dirty work and lives were spent. You know, lives lives were cost for Thorin rattling Smaug's cage. And it's just, it's such a different way to tell a story because oftentimes it's, you know, Perseus goes into the labyrinth and kills Medusa. Boom. Hero, villain, da-da-da-da-da. You know, Icarus and his father are trapped in the labyrinth to, you know, escape from the Minotaur. Boom. Father makes it out. Son doesn't. We learn about the hubris of man. Great. It's rare that a side character who's introduced a couple chapters before or even less than that. And and that character gets the glory. But it's it's so unique and so beautiful because we all think we're the main characters of our own story, which is true, but sometimes someone else gets the girl. Sometimes someone else gets the treasure. Sometimes your brother or your friend or your whoever, someone else gets the win and you don't. And that's like part of the nature of life, which is beautiful and frustrating. But like Thorin didn't care. He got the Arkenstone. What the, what I think is interesting after that is then you've got this battle of five armies where it's like Tolkien lets us take a dip, Smog's dealt with, and then it shoots back up in conflict where it's like, oh, now we're going to have a war? How are we going to have a war in like three chapters? Because if you're holding the book, you're like, book's almost over. And like Bilbo has to get home. So like, how is this going to resolve? Which is fun, right? Like, because you're not sure, which which I really enjoyed. So let's skip ahead here. The Battle of Five Armies takes place. Thorin's cousins show up to help. So the five armies are Thorin, his cousins, Lake Town, the elves, that's four. And then the big one is the goblins and the trolls and the wargs coming over to sort out what Thorin has done. Really interesting stuff. Really fun end to a fairy tale feels very big and adventurous and bilbo does his job as a burglar an honest one he hopes as the book says and he's like i just want to go home and so he does whatever he has to do to try to like move this story forward and thorin in his dragon sickness and like look i'll give him 20 percent. like yeah you can feel upset about the arkenstone that's fair What's not fair is the selfishness of the gold and silver that, like, you didn't do the, the hard labor. Like, so, yeah, lives were lost. Help rebuild Lake Town. Okay, don't don't give any to the elves. That's fine. That's, well, I don't care. The elves are dinguses. Like, they have let their, their entire homeland become overrun with a sickness and a deep magic and spiders. Like, it wasn't always like that if you read the lore. But they got comfortable. They they let things overrun their lives, and that's on them. But like Lake Town, you gotta give it to Lake Town. Bard didn't just do this for fun. Oh, you know what I'm gonna do on a Wednesday? I'm gonna kill this smaug. That's what I'm gonna do. It's gonna cost the lives of my friends and the guy who sells me bread. But you know what? I'll do it for Thorin. No, he did it because it was right. He did it because they were being attacked, and like there was a cost. So like, pay up, Thorin. Come on. Get over here. What I find compelling, and I'm going to dovetail, or should I say thrush tail, 
what well, you uh huh right, 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 what right. you just said is the heroes at different points of the story are unexpected, even Bilbo. So at the mm, Battle of the Five mm-hmm. Armies, Bilbo's heroism is put to an end when he's knocked out by a rock. And he kind of misses the battle. And so he misses And out he's on invisible. Being, and he's invisible. Right. So I think like I just want to remind you that he's invisible. Right. So like this guard comes up and he's like, Bilbo? Bilbo, you around here? And Bilbo's like, huh? What? And like appears from behind a rock. Like, oh, this is the third time I've come up here. I didn't see you there. Like, well, that's because I was wearing a ring. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's so much fun. So having missed the battle, he really loses out on being branded the hero. Because like you said, Bard did all the dirty work. The people of Lake Town took the brunt of the hit. And here, Thorne is finally coming for his character arc. He's mortally wounded. He's learned a valuable lesson. Like, greed is bad. He owes money to these people. He reconciles with Bilbo. At least he dies as the hero with his sword and the Arkenstone. And it's a very beautiful piece of literature because I think often we want things resolved in 30 minutes minus the commercials. Oh, yeah. But that never happens. So the money gets distributed, but the line dies, right? Like So the dwarves get their mountain back. They get some of the treasure back. They lose some of it. Mm-hmm. And the grandson of the king of the mountain dies and is buried with his sword and the Arkenstone. So he's buried with the holy grail of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of like almost a, a death to it all, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a, that's very beautiful. And then the reconciliation is beautiful. And Bard gets justice when he gets his promised share of the treasure. Yeah. And although Bilbo is not a war hero because he slept through it, <laughs> he's essential to the mission and journey. And he's also given the portion of the treasure. And there's that other kind of glimpse of real life where nothing works out as sometimes you're intended. Because what is he going to do with 14, 1/14th of the treasure? Yeah. He'd buy, he'd own his section of the Shire and then some. He might just buy the Shire, like honestly, the full Shire, all of it, and have over half remaining. Oh, absolutely. So all of it right here, you know, the the dynamic I just mentioned just a few minutes ago, I think is masterfully done. And then as it ends, Bilbo takes the long way home. Yeah. And he only brings enough gold and silver for one pony to carry. That's still enough for him to do, you know, buy oh, back all live. the shit that people stole. Oh my god, house. <laughs> so dumb. But the thing is, that's how people function. Like, yeah, you die, and people steal your Xbox or your mm. your spheres. You wanna? No, we. All right, I'll bury the hatchet on this one. I don't have to bring it up. That's the way of kings. The followers who've been here since the way of kings. Yeah, some inside jokes for the true followers. The OGs. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it's all in all, absolutely love this story. What's disappointing to me, and I think I've shared this before in a different episode for a different topic where I was just, like, referencing Tolkien about Christopher Tolkien, who was given the authority over the estate, the Tolkien estate, is I wanted more stories in the world. Your father has gifted you the authority over the estate. He has a bunch of notes. 
add to your family legacy, man. I realize it's easier said than done because these are some massive shoes. He's the father of fantasy. I get that. I really, I do. It's not an easy thing. It's easier said than done. Man, how cool would it be to say, you know, my dad wrote these books and like I took some of his notes and then made part of it my own because he read these books to them as kids that he was writing. Like how beautiful. (sighs) Okay, I'm done. I, 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 you've said your piece. (laughs) I, I have, I just, you know, Christopher, I don't think you'll ever listen to this. Christopher Tolkien, we as the people would support whatever you wrote as canon. And we know that it would be different and we wouldn't hold you to the same standard because you're a different generation of Tolkien and you would make it your own. I mean, you're older. I don't think you'll ever hear this, but we would love a another book from different characters in the Shire or another book of different characters. Doesn't even have to be during the second age or the third age. I'm, I'm my ignorance is showing of the Lord of the Rings. Like there's more like, you know how the Silmarillion goes like anyway. All right, I'm done. That's fine. That's well, let's move on to some quotes. Let's end it with, you know, a nice little uh, wrap-up, coda, a little coda of the story. And for those who don't know, coda, in literary terms, is a nice wrap-up of all things that went on in the in the beginning, middle, and end of the story. It's not really an epilogue. It's just a wrap-up of all the things. So here's the coda for, for The Hobbit. Bilbo returns almost a year later. He's contemplating his adventure, and he finds his possessions being sold off by people because the people of the Shire think he's dead. We're coming back to the point I made in the beginning. This is a symbolic death. Although he was returning home, as Gandalf tells him, and this is something Bilbo knows himself, that he is not the hobbit he once was. There has been a sort of death to the old Bilbo Baggins. And we, the readers, are told from this time onward, Bilbo is considered unusual, even a bit odd, because he likes to write poetry, and he visits with elves. In some permanent ways, he's changed. He now resembles more of his mother's family, the Tooks. And Bilbo, at the end, says he has plenty of wealth and offers his gold to Gandalf. But Gandalf insists that Bilbo should take some of it for himself, saying that he may need more than he knows. And so this leaves us with a little bit of a mystery. Yeah, this is a good coda, but... What is the mystery, or what is this thing that Gandalf is talking about? What is he hiding again? Maybe another adventure. Yeah. A lot of times in stories and narratives, you have a guide who leads your hero or heroine along the journey from time to time. And Gandalf is like the perfect version of this because he both corrects Bilbo and tells him, like, there's more to you than you know, and continues to edge him on. But Gandalf is correcting everyone. He's like... You know, um, there's a quote where he is talking to Thorin and he says, you're not that great of a king under the mountain or something like that. And it's because he's not, because just like you said, he was exposed, right? Like he, he was overcome just again, as you said, the dragon sickness lived on beyond Smaug's life. Anyway, I want to, I want to shift a little bit as we're, um, you know, ebbing through this this episode and discuss some of my favorite quotes. If you have any commentary on them, like certainly dive in, but um, sounds good. The first one is like, there's nothing like looking. If you want to find something, you certainly usually find something if you look, but it is not always quite the something you were after. There's just so much wisdom in this fairy tale. 
Oh! I'm going to flip <laughs> my table. Awesome. I love it so much. I just love it, it so much. It is a good story. It is a very well-crafted story. Yeah. Another one. This this is another one of those moments where I really resonate with Bilbo. Go back, he thought. No good at all. Go sideways? Impossible. Go forward? Only thing to do. On we go. So he got up, and he trotted along with his little sword held in front of him, and one hand feeling the wall, and his heart all of a patter and a pitter. Like, sometimes the only thing you can do is go forward in life. I like I know that I've said this before and we've talked about this, but like books are therapy. Knowing that someone else went through something difficult and like pursued gives you strength to move on. Uh, another little one that I like is when he's talking to Smaug and he's recounting the tale of his journey in prose. It's one of my favorite literary, I guess we'll call it a monologue, but it's just such a wrap up. I come from over the hill and under the hill. Over the hills my paths have led, and through the air, I am he that walks unseen. I am the clue finder, the web cutter, the stinging fly. I was chosen for the lucky number. I am he that buries his friends alive and drowns them and draws them alive again from the water. I come from the end of a bag, but no bag went over me. I am the friend of bears and the guest of eagles. I am the ring winner and the luck wearer, and I am barrel rider. I love Sanderson, and I love Will White, but man, you can't put a you can't shake a stick at tolkien and his beauty of like the way he uses language and if you listen to the audiobook dear audience get the one that it's narrated by andy circus because this portion of it is fabulous andy circus is the guy who played Gollum in the movies and he narrates uh, all of them he narrates all of them there's a there's a production company that works closely with the Tolkien uh, Society or whatever it's called, the estate. And mm -hmm. there's older versions. I have one of the older versions, but the versions that are narrated by Circus, unbelievable, especially this portion because he does the voices so well and the acting is beautiful. It just brings life to the, these types of sections where normally you can have a good narrator just read the story and puts emphases when it needs to where he or mm -hmm. she needs to, but Circus just adds a oomph to it. So chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Man, I've got four more quotes, but I, I feel like I want to like cut in real quick. Do you have any that you really liked? So I can't think of anything that stood out to me. It's like, wow, this is a great quote. When I was reading it, I was more overtaken by the nostalgia I felt from you know reading it in seventh grade and then just kind of processing it as an adult to write the notes that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, trying to kind of reconcile this thing where I'm like, wow, it's like I'm reading this book for the first time. I have memories yeah, of it. Yeah. I have good memories of it. That's the nostalgia part. But parts of it, I'm like, I don't remember this at all. Well, this is kind of cool. I like, mm -hmm. I like what I'm reading right now. So yeah. I didn't focus on the quotes. But I'm sure I like the ones you pointed out. And the one with um, Bilbo and Smog, that's a great one. I love it so much, Slava. I've thought about getting part of this like tattooed on me. I've never committed to it, but it's just like, it's so good. Like, I am Barrel Rider. I just love it so much. I'm a friend of bears. I'm a, a guest of Right, eagles. he covers the whole journey. He gives a synopsis. Yeah. Oh, it's just so good. I Here's a couple more that I like. We'll just do three, because one of them is just kind of like, meh, whatever. 
I have found that it is small, everyday deeds of ordinary folks that keep the darkness at bay. Mm. Which is like, yeah, yeah, that's that's the way we should live with moral good integrity. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Slava. Yep, yep. I really like this one, too, where Gandalf is talking to Bilbo, and it's how magic and reality collide i think not i think i know that this is how magic and and reality collide gandalf says surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself you don't really suppose do you that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit you are a very fine person mr baggins and i am very fond of you but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Gandalf is saying, look, and and uh, Paul talks about this in the New Testament too, not to get all Christian on you, but like, don't despise the the prophetic utterance that you were given. Like you have to fan into flame the prophecy that was given. And like, that means you have to participate with it. And it's, it's not that you should disbelieve the prophecy because you took part in the active bringing about to come to pass. Like it's, it, we're recording this on the third night of Hanukkah, and like the miracle of Hanukkah is that there was a battle and there was a uh, a coming back to rec- reclaim the temple. They didn't have enough oil to reconsecrate the temple because the battle just used it up or whatever. And the oil lasted eight days, and that's the miracle of Hanukkah. And it's like, but part of the miracle is also like taking back the temple. So, like, don't despise the miracle because you had a hand in doing it, right? Like, don't despise the prophetic because you walked it out. And I think that's just really beautiful that Gandalf tells Bilbo that because we are a very fickle people. Like, Israel's a great example. Again, not to get biblical on you, but, like, God literally tells Israel, like, put up altars so that when your kids walk by, they go, what was that for? And then you re- or you tell them the story orally of, like, this is the time that God provided for us so that you don't forget. Because even Bilbo, and I realize that I'm comparing the Bible to Bilbo Baggins, which is, like, just silly. But we forget the good things in our lives that we've accomplished and have done and been a part of and have also received, right? Well, I think what I'll add to your uh, comment is God often you God often uses secondary means to accomplish his his goals. So sometimes you get to participate in that. This is to to Bilbo. You participated in the actual adventure that was prophesized. You were part of that. Mm-hmm. So without even knowing it, you played a part in the thing that the Elven King told you about. Mm-hmm. You played a part in this. We all did. Thorne played his part. Gandalf played his part. And the burglar played his part. Yeah. What about scale? Let's land this plane. I think we ended on a really strong note. Scale. Should I go yeah. first or you want to go first? You can go first. You can go first. Okay. So story plot, I'm going to give it a four. Characters, 4.5. I think the world, because I've read the trilogy and i read this mm-hmm. so i only read four of the five or six or seven books that there's out there but i think the world is fascinating i really like the world and mm-hmm. i'm gonna anger my friends and say i like it better than narnia 
because I have a oh. friend who really likes it, who likes Narnia so much better. I like the world a lot. So a five, no changes. Uh, characters, it's a 4.5 because I feel like we didn't spend enough time with them. Like I wanted more internal dialogue with Thorn. I wanted to go deep into his, his insanity with it. Uh, right? Okay. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit of smog going, who the F is this smelly bastard that's uh, stealing my uh, my cup? Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing with the characters. I wanted more internal dialogue. Yep. Story, a four, only because I don't think it's the most fantastic story ever written. It's a solid, it's a good story. I love it. But right now, post-nostalgia, I finished this book about a month ago. We are recording it. I have time to process it. I wrote mm-hmm. about five freaking pages of notes that we're using for this outline. Yeah. Processing all of it. I'm like, it's a four. It's a good solid four. I challenge your four because think about when this came out. This was the first of its kind. Okay, it's a four in modern day world. That's fine based on your preferences, whatever. Cool. But like objectively speaking with being the father of fantasy, I don't think you can give it a four. Objectively speaking. Okay. What if I give it a 4.5? Would you be happy? I'll take it. I'll take it. 4.5. It's going to come to no surprise, leading into my ratings, story and plot. Give it a one. It was awful. You know, hated it. Characters, shell of people, just a joke. Giving it a point five, And the world, I burned my copy. It was that awful. I just couldn't handle it anymore. I saw him do it. Uh, no, I have a bias. Like, this is one of the first fantasy books that I fell in love with as a kid. I know that there's a strong bias here for loving this. So it's five across the board for me. However, I also think in my older age, as I've learned about Tolkien and that he was the father of fantasy, and I learned about these characters and how it had a direct reflection of Beowulf and like seen the love, care, and attention that Tolkien put into his world, it's well-deserving. There have been a lot of authors through the ages and millennia that the world has existed. Very few have estates built after them because of their authorship and that says something absolutely i agree despite my shavings of half a point <laughs> i really do think this is a beautiful story and i know why i felt the nostalgia i felt now reading it almost 30 years later love it so next episode we're gonna have a guest on who absolutely loves lord of the rings and tolkien it's my friend deborah and it's gonna be fun it's a new guest for those of you who are around during the Star Wars episodes, or if you've gone back and listened to them, Matt's lady friend, his gal pal, his romantic partner, his girlfriend. So she's going to be on, and I'm looking forward to having a new guest on. So after this book, we've got one of Slava's favorites. Mm-hmm. It by Stephen King. We're all very surprised by the author. Yes, as am I. I'd never would have thought I'd like Stephen That's King. That's right. But I read it seven times and decided that I like Stephen King. So we're going to do that next after The Hobbit. And then in no particular order, because we haven't figured out this order yet, we're going to do Fight Club, A Clockwork Orange, and A Head Full of Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Now, The Head Full of Ghosts, it is said by King in a tweet that this 
book scared the hell out of Stephen King. So I want to get into that when we read it. But I'm very much looking forward to it because another guest, this is one as a return guest, is coming for the final part of it. It is going to be our buddy Jess of Survivor fame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She might have a small cameo in the final part of Lies of La Clamora, which hasn't dropped yet as of this recording. But that's it for the setup for the next books. Those are four books that you guys should join us for. Well, you saucy adventurers, make sure you smash that subscribe button so you never miss a side quest. Because as you discovered, there's always treasure to be found at the end of the adventure. Now, may the hair of your toes never fall out. And remember what Gandalf said if you're having a rough time. Where there's life, there's hope. Unless smog is firebombing your town. He was supposed to be inspirational, Slava. <laughs>